Well, good morning, Four Points Church. How you doing? Good. <laughs> Very good. I'm like totally stoked because I'm leaving for beach retreat with teenagers tomorrow morning. So that's going to be lots of fun. I plan on sitting on the beach and doing a lot of nothing. Um, but guys, we have a couple really big reasons to celebrate this morning. One of them is we want to give a special welcome to the folks from Potential Church. Guys, just give them a hand. We have heard and we know of all the incredible things that God has done at Potential Church and all the incredible things God has done through Pastor Lance. And Lance, I love you, man. I'm glad that you're here. You're going to help Four Points be a more exciting and excitable place for the kingdom of God. But we're thankful for you. We're thankful that we can be better together and we are expecting God to do things that are just going to blow our minds as we serve him together. So welcome and happy Father's Day. We have any dads in the house? Listen, here's what I want you to do. You have permission. You always have permission to get out your phone. Here's the thing. If you would rather search Facebook than listen to me preach, I'm not doing a good job. So I'm fine with you having your phone out at any point that you want to. Um, but I want you to have your phone out right now because if you go to our Facebook page and you um, check in at Four Points Church, we're going to send $2 for every person who checks in at Four Points Church in our last service and this service and online uh, to the men's homeless shelter at Miracle Hill in honor of Father's Day. So please check in at Four Points Church and please text your friends to check in. We would like to write as big a check as we possibly can to be a blessing to the men's homeless shelter. Guys, because we believe at Four Points Church that we are better together. Now, we've been in a new series called Better Together for the last couple of weeks. And what this series is about is we're walking through the book of Philippians, which actually is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to a church in Philippi in northern Greece. And he was talking to them about being better together and about being unified and how to do church together. And so we're jumping in there to see what we can learn from the letter to the Philippians that applies to us about being better together. So turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Guys, we are going to go deep in the Word today. Everybody say, go deep. Go deep. Let's do it. Amen. Praise God in the Word. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, because Jesus was, is, was fully man and fully God. 
And Jesus is God, right? Who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. I like this NIV translation of that because some of your translations say grasped and we're like, oh, Jesus couldn't grasp, you know, that he was fully man and fully God. Jesus could grasp all of that. What he didn't do, that word grasped in your Bible is talking about like when you grasp a hammer or when you grasp a wrench or you grasp an ax or a microphone. It's a tool, it's a utility that you use. So Jesus was fully God, but he didn't utilize his divinity to make his life easier. Jesus chose to live as a person. He didn't use his divinity to his advantage. Verse seven, rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, which is a way of saying a very painful death. Therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guys, this is one of the deepest passages of Scripture, and deep in a sense that, like, we, we don't know how to, I don't know how to receive the truth in this passage. I mean, I struggle on a day-to-day basis with pride, Right? Every time I want to be first in traffic, it's because I think I'm better right? than the person next to me. Or anytime I get frustrated in the grocery store because there's a line, it's like, well, geez, like, I should be at the front of the line. Like, we all feel that way. And this passage says, hey, the God of the universe chose to take on human form. And not only did he humble himself to the point of becoming human, but he gave his life for humans. This doesn't make any sense. Guys, this doesn't make any sense. We don't have anything in this world to compare it to. Nothing, just Jesus. This this is seen nowhere else. This kind of humility. And there's something about it because it's the way that Jesus lived that if you and I will receive it, If we'll allow the Holy Spirit to teach us more about it, guys, we can have a church like the world has never seen a church. And we can impact the kingdom of God and other churches in a way it's never happened before. We can see a revival. If we will take this from being in our heads to in our hearts and in our lives, we will see God do incredible things. I don't know about you. I've been in a lot of churches. I'm tired of seeing the best man can do. I'm sick of it. Some of these pastors need to go manage a Walmart. They probably would be better at it. They have management skills, right? But it's not spiritual. Our desire at Four Points, and I know it was your desire at Potential Church, guys, is we want to see God move. We want to see things happen that we look back and we say, you know what? Only God could get credit for that. Our pastor Phil was such a jackweed. There is no way. You know, that's what I want. Let the world count us fools and God glorious. And so I want to take these truths 
that Paul's talking about in Philippians, and I want us to internalize them so that we can be better together. Say this with me. We are better together. We are better together. And the way that we're going to be better together is we need better unity. We need better unity. Before Paul comes in heavy and starts stomping all over people's toes, in this letter, he gives us this great list of what Christian community is supposed to look like. Okay, so here's the things that Paul says should be in every church. Number one, encouragement in Christ. Encouragement in Christ, what is that? It's, it's freedom from condemnation. It's being here today as you and I are, right? Because when I walk through these doors, I don't feel like I have it all together. When I walk through these doors, I'm pleading God's mercy to use me and, I, and my flesh and the enemy are just putting in front of me my failures. Does that happen to you? But the, the, the opposite of this is what encouragement in Christ is. Like Jesus died for me to bring me near. He paid the cost. I can be encouraged in Christ. I can understand that my value is in the value he gives me. Not in what I think of myself. Not in what other people Think of me. Here's what encouragement in Christ means, that no matter how much you may despise yourself, God does not feel that way about you. You gotta let that go. Paul says comfort from his love. Here's what this means. Because we've been loved in Christ, guys, we can come here and we can love each other with the love we receive from Jesus. I can love you because he loved me. You know, this week, my sons, doing what sons do, you know, it's his father's day. I had to bring up a son's illustration. But one of my sons came to me, and I was sitting down in the living room, and I think I was playing Forza, and he, he walked up to me, and he said, he said um, you know, my brother, I don't, I'm not using their names. You know why. And he says, my brother has something that he doesn't want to tell you because he's going to be grounded for a year if he tells you, <laughs> if he tells you what it is. So I'm thinking, oh, Lord, like what, is, what is he going to tell me uh, that he's done, you know? And I'm thinking, well, I don't want to tell him that his brother told me that because, you know, they're roommates and I don't want them to be fighting about it. Um, but at the same time, I, I kind of want to know what this dude did, you know? So later on, I'm cooking in the kitchen and he comes and he sits up in the thing and, and just casually we're talking. I just lean in. I say, I say, hey, buddy, is there something you want me to know? And I get this look I get from him all the time. It's like this. <laughs> right? Big eyes, like just an no crap moment. Like, I don't know what's going to happen here. And it was like pulling teeth a little bit. It's like, you can tell me, you can tell me, go ahead and tell me, you can tell me, I love you, you can tell me, you can tell me. I don't want to tell you, Dad, I don't want to tell you, I just don't want to tell you, I just don't want to tell you, right? Well, he finally told me, guys, and listen, we dealt with it, and it wasn't as bad as I might have feared. But here's what was true, man. When he was sitting there, there was nothing he could have told me that would have caused me to stop loving him. There's nothing he could have told me that would have made me want to do anything other than embrace him. Now, we give our kids correction, but the, but the love is there, and we have that in God. We're comforted by his love. I hope as my sons and my daughter continue to grow that they know that I'm a safe place. I will love them no matter what sort of stupid thing they might do. And I hope they love me no matter what kind of stupid thing I might do as a parent. Right? But God, we have to feel that way about God. We have to realize that we have a comfort from his love. 
Participation in the spirit. I don't know if you know this about four points. We're a spirit-filled church, okay? We expect to feel the presence of God. We expect to see God do miracles in our church. We're waiting on it, and we experience these things together. At our church, we do a discipleship class called um, Freedom, the Freedom class. And at the end of Freedom class, we have Freedom Night. And at Freedom Night, we worship and we kind of walk through some of the things we talked about in the discipleship. And then I have this huge privilege as a pastor to go around and to lay hands on each person and anoint them with oil and pray over them. And I believe in a prophetic way. I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to me things that need to be said. And, and we were going through this. We we're just praying. Man, and I tell you, I just felt like a connection to God. I felt like a connection to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Like we were participating in the spirit together. And that's a powerful thing. That's part of what it means to be in a, in a Christian community. Paul says we have affection. You know what that is? That's the fact that I'm happy to see you. That's the fact that you come to church and we're happy to see each other. I look forward to being here, guys. Not, not to, to preach or whatever, but to see you. I like to see you. I know some of you better than others and I'm working on it, right? I want to know everyone because I look forward to being around you. We look forward to being together. We have Christian affection. And then sympathy. Anybody remember last week we talked about how in the body of Christ, like there are times when all of us are weak, and there are times when all of us are strong, and it's meant to be that way because when we're strong, we can help carry the weak, right? And really, we just trade back and forth. And sometimes as your pastor, I'm going to be weak. I need you to hold my arms up, right? There's no difference between you and me. Sympathy, carrying one another. Sympathy is this, when you hurt, I hurt. That's the way it should be. So these are the things that, 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 that make up unity, they make up Christian community, and they contribute to us as a church having unity together, a sense of togetherness together, right? That was like redundant. But you know, where do we see unity? Teams, right? Like we just watched the NBA finals, you know? Um, you watch how a team operates, there's a sense of unity where they're participating together in something. In your family, you have, hopefully you have unity. You want unity with your family, your, your core group of friends, man. You want unity and they're at work. Maybe at work you have a specific job and a specific task and a specific team and you wanna have unity on that team. But what is, what is unity really? What does it mean to really have unity? And when we ask that question, we're really asking a few things, like what is our purpose, right? What are our goals? What are our beliefs? These are things that people agree on, unite on, come together on. As a church, we wanna be united so that we can fulfill our common purpose, which is reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to achieve our common goal, which is growing in our walk with Christ and our knowledge of the scriptures and our participation of the Holy Spirit. And we want to support each other in our shared beliefs because we're better together when we're stronger together and when we're united. So let's explore this idea of unity because people have different ideas of what unity is and what unity is not. But before we get into what unity is, I want to talk a little bit about some misconceptions we have 
about unity. Here's what unity is not. Strong arming. Okay? Strong arming. Using your strong personality to shut other people down. This can give an illusion of unity, but it's not unity. And this is in particular to leaders, sometimes pastors, if, if your modus operandus is to have the loudest voice in the room so that everybody else shuts up, you can feel like maybe you have unity, but it is not unity. Strong arming is not unity. Devaluing is not unity. Right? When you live your life or you lead your family in a way where you're not interested in the opinions of your kids and you're not interested in the opinion of your spouse, you just lead and you don't need any other voices, that's also not unity. That's an illusion of unity. Austin and I had a great time this week. He got us tickets to go to the BMW one-hour tour, um, to go around the BMW plant. And I love cars, so I had a really good time. I, I really kind of hoped, though, that they would have had a three-hour tour where Captain Skipper and Gilligan were, like, leading the tour because then I could just retire from everything in my life and just think about that idea uh, forever because it would be absolutely hilarious. But we went on the one-hour tour, and I was impressed with some stuff. You might work at BMW and be like, none of this is true, Phil. I don't know. <laughs> but one of the things I was impressed with was how much it seemed like they cared about their employees, like they were doing their jobs, but they're doing stuff to kind of make sure they don't get bored, to kind of make sure they're safe, like trying to do stuff so that their employees actually enjoy their job and want to be there. And the other thing I saw is they have like a reward system where like if you have an idea as an employee, you can share that idea and get a cash reward. Um, for that idea. And I thought, man, that CEO, he needs a bonus because that is a brilliant idea. You know what's better than one guy's ideas? 10. You know what's better than that? 50. You know what's better than that? Thousands, right? To pull an idea base from thousands of, that's just brilliant. Why wouldn't everyone do that? But a lot of people don't want to because they want to devalue voices around them so that their voice is the only voice that's heard. You may parent that way. I hope not, right? But we, we're tempted to think that that is unity. And the last way is manipulating. Sometimes we think manipulation is unity. Here's what manipulation is. If somebody says to you, um, you don't really want to be the only person who disagrees, do you? Right? Come on, everybody thinks this is the right idea. Right? You're shutting people down. And you don't have unity. So there are people out there who think they have unity in their church. They think they have unity in their place of employment. They think they have unity in their family, but they don't really. It's all a facade. It's not real unity. It's not the kind of unity God wants us to have. He doesn't want us having all these defense mechanisms to give the appearance of unity. He wants us to have real unity. So I'm going to give you an important quote. It's by a guy named Kim Jong-un. thinks he has unity. Here's what he says. Our young people are patriots and heroes whom we can be proud of before the world. For we have a large contingent of such trustworthy young people. It's a great blessing for the Workers' Party of Korea and a source of pride for Korea. And this assures our great strength and our dignified state in its bright future. If you ask Kim Jong-un, hey, is North Korea unified? He'd be like, heck yeah. Right? In his own way. No, he does not. You think he asks any of those youth what they think about the government? You know, when you, send, when you send a group of guys to another country to do your diplomatic work and then you kill them all when they get home, 
That's not unity, right? So we need to know because this is an illusion of unity and we can, we can never be satisfied with the illusion of unity. Not if we want to see God do great things in our lives and in our church and in our community. So here's what real unity is according to Paul. Okay, what he says to the Philippians. Real unity involves the spirit. Do you know that like, I, I might think I know you, right? Or don't know you because you're new here. But like, you know, things that you do or things that you say, I might add all those things together in my mind and kind of make judgments and assessments and feel like I know you and you might do the same thing to me. And there's some truth that we can get that way. But do you know the fact that you have the Holy Spirit living in you and I have the Holy Spirit living in me is a much more important connection than what we see. It's a much more important connection than what we feel. And that's how we have real unity because even though we're different, which is a good thing, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and the Holy Spirit has one voice. And he brings us together. Real unity involves goals. So here's the other thing. We might have different ideas, but we're after the same thing. Our goal as a church is that God would use our church to do his will, that God would do great things here. And we may have different ideas, but we're unified in the goal of wanting to follow Jesus and do his will in our church. And real unity also stems from love. The fact that we can come here, that we can go through the week, that we can be involved in a four group if you're not you need to be, to have those relationships that we can count on the fact that we are going to love each other with the love that Christ has given to us. These are the ingredients that make up real unity in a church. So here's another quote to counteract Kim Jong-un's wisdom. This is Mother Teresa. She says this, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt only more love. I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only love. Here's what she's pointing out, guys, that, that actually makes a whole lot of sense. We feel like we need to put a seatbelt on and, and like keep ourselves from loving people too much or giving people too much grace or being there for people too much when they've hurt us, right? But what she's saying is that like, the more you love, God is loving in you. You're not gonna run out of love. In fact, you're gonna be more full of love. The, the less we look at ourselves and the more we look at other people, the more love we're going to give, the more love we're going to feel. God's love never runs dry, so our love never needs to. This is what she's saying. Real unity happens, guys, when we are spiritual, biblical, generous, loving people. That's gonna make Four Points Church like no other church. That's gonna make your family like no other family. Living that way. But we have to realize that we compete with one another and for one another, not against one another. We are on the same team, always and forever. Our opinions may be different. Our feelings may be different. Our judgments may be different, but we are on the same team. But we can't, we can't have this kind of unity 
without unity's most important attribute. We need better humility. Better humility. Anybody else struggle with pride? I struggle with a lot of things. That's a safe thing for pastors to say, I struggle with pride. I've heard every pastor I know say they struggle with pride. I struggle with other stuff, lots of other stuff. But pride is one of them, where I think I'm more important in a situation than somebody else, or too good to be going through a situation. But we all, choose, we all struggle with pride. We all choose pride over humility. You want to know why we do it? Here's five reasons why we do it. One, we're afraid of failure. We view humility as a weakness, right? Like if, if I humble myself, somebody else is going to get ahead. If I humble myself, I'm not going to get what I want. Here's the problem, guys. We live in a world of wants. I want that. I want to go there. I want that job. I want that car. I want that paycheck. I want, I want, I want, I want. And our lives are just surrounded and filled with wants, selfish wants. Because we think that if we want it enough, we're going to have something to make us happy. But guys, there's nothing that's going to make us happy except for Jesus. There's nothing that's going to make us happy except for Jesus. There is nothing that is going to satisfy you except for Jesus. Absolutely nothing. We're afraid of rejection. If I put other people first, I'm going to get left behind. This is what we think sometimes, condemnation. Sometimes we're proud because of condemnation, like you wouldn't say this to yourself or you wouldn't say this out loud, but it's true of you and me sometimes, is we have this idea of like, you know what, I don't trust me, so I certainly don't trust you. I have to put myself here and keep you down here because I don't really trust myself and I really, really don't trust you. So I have to keep you down there. Deception is another one. We're afraid if we put other people first, we're going to get tricked. We're afraid if we really believe what Jesus said, other people are going to get ahead of us and we're going to be losers. Right? These are fears. These are things that, that fuel us. But listen to what Jesus said. I'm going to read it again because, I, guys, I'm just, I just think it's just so powerful. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Our lives are full, our life, my life, our lives are full of selfish ambition. The I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. But Jesus says, to count everyone else as more important than myself. Like not some people, not worthy people, because guess what? In God's eyes, you're not a worthy person. We're made worthy because of what Christ did for us. Unconditional love. But we come to a place where we feel so worthy that we think other people are unworthy. We don't want to put others above ourselves. Another place pride stems from is self-importance. Sometimes we just get to feeling like we're more important. 
that we deserve more. We're more important. My wife and I took our honeymoon at this little bed and breakfast in, um, on Lake Michigan. I'm, you know, Vanderplug. I'm Dutch. Uh, if you don't know me, don't try to say my name. Just call me Phil. Um, but we, we took our honeymoon up at this bed and breakfast. And this place was nice, man. Like we saved up enough money for two nights, okay? So we were there just living the dream on our honeymoon for two nights. And at a bed and breakfast, you come down in the morning, you sit around the table and they serve you, I don't know, it was like 25 courses um, of food. And there are people around this table, guys, who are just, they're cooler than me. You know what I'm saying? There's people around this table, like this is, they do this every weekend. You know what I mean? Or like they, you know, one guy is like, hey, I'm the, you know, we go around the table to like say who we are, where we're from. You know, some guy's like, yeah, I'm a CEO of such and such and such and such. And somebody else is like, yeah, I run this, this company, that company. And, you know, this is just one of our vacations, blah, blah, blah. I'm not even in ministry yet, guys. So it comes to us and I'm like, this, I'm Phil. This is my wife, Corey. I'm a bank teller, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, right away around that table, I'm not a guy of influence. You know what I mean? I'm like the bank teller. And everybody's like, oh, that's nice. You know, <laughs> until this other guy behind me, he starts talking and he has an Australian accent. And I'm like, doggone it, man. Like these people are rich and this guy's got an accent. Like what I wouldn't give to be him. Like, why can't I be cool? God, why did I get these cards? God, I had to be like fat and just white and just, you know, and, uh, <laughs> So he starts talking. I'm like, I'm jealous, you know? And then he says, you know, I'm in the circus industry and, uh, you know, there's, the circus industry is a, is a shady business. I'm trying to get out of it. And I'm thinking, well, Matt, now maybe all of a sudden, you know, Bank Teller looks better. You know, like maybe everybody now is talking about the shady circus business. And uh, I just got, you know, I just got a social raise, you know, around this table. But isn't this how life is? And we do it as Christians. It's like we got stuck in high school. Who's the cheerleader? Who's the quarterback? Some guys are still walking around like they're still a quarterback, hadn't played in 50 years, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Some women are like, I was, the, you know, I was the beauty queen, and we can tell because their daughters are stacked out, you know, on the internet. And, uh, you know, they're models because mom wants them to be a model. And, you know, all this, you know, it just, it just reflects the social standing stuff. We live like we're in high school. When I was in college, I went to Liberty University. I was a brand new baby Christian, okay? Like I was rough around the edges. I was saying all kinds of stuff that was getting me demerits. And um, I was in a Bible class with this one guy who was just a jerk, man. Like he would, he would sit in the back and chuckle every time I gave an answer or somebody else gave an answer. You know, I was just a new Christian. I didn't know these theological questions, you know? So I was just answering stuff and he would just laugh. And one time he was laughing. I turned around and I said, man, what is your problem? He said, nothing. And I'm like, no, you have a problem. That's why you laugh all the time. What's your problem? And we're in class, by the way. <laughs> the teacher's not doing anything. He's just kind of standing there. And uh, well, here's why. He says, do you know who my dad is? I said, I don't think I care who your dad is. <laughs> he said, well, my dad is so-and-so and is a, very, is a famous pastor. Many of us would know who he was if I said his name. And I said, and I said, well, man, I bet your dad'd be really disappointed because you're not even acting like a Christian. Like you're telling me your dad's a famous pastor. Look at you. Like, is this is this how a Christian acts? You know? This guy, man, he was just one of those guys. Anybody seen Back to the Future? Yeah, this was like Biff with a tie on, okay? <laughs> it's kind of how he was, kind of how he was acting, you know? But like we do this, we have this 
social standing, guys, where we just, we just sometimes we don't want to put other people first. We want to be first in line. We want life to go our way. You know, here's another story. This is a good one. Another church that I served at, um, we hired uh, Elevation Worship to come lead worship. Man, they were just incredible. Mac Brock was the worship leader who came, and uh, they just they just killed it. Humble guys, great thing, man. And uh, but the first time they came, we had them twice. The first time they came, um, I had messed up the paperwork, and I didn't get like get the paperwork turned in so that the business office would cut them a check um, for coming. And so I called them like, oh no, I need a check. I need to be able to pay these guys. And uh, they were like, did you get their W-9 forms filled out? I was like, ah, no. And they're like, yeah, we'll have to mail it. We'll mail it tomorrow, you know. I was so embarrassed, guys. Like if you'd have looked at me, you'd have seen a ghost. Like I was just like, like just so embarrassed. I sit in my office like, oh man, I'm gonna have to go out there and tell these guys that I messed up and the church wasn't able to cut them a check for, their, for coming and stuff and just embarrassed. Looked like I didn't know what the heck I was doing, right? So I finally work up the nerve and I go in there and I sit down. I sit down next to Mac and I say, man, I'm really sorry, but I messed up your paperwork and we don't have um, your check. You know, they want you to fill out these W-9 forms and, and then we'll mail you a check. He looked at me and he said, man, don't worry about that. He said, that's not a big deal. No problem. Absolutely no problem. Guys, I've been around enough bands <laughs> and enough people who have status in the Christian world to sort of see people behave badly a lot, right? People, people who have less talent and less influence than Mac Brock exerting a lot more of themselves. You know, I look at Mac Brock now, he's got a solo career. His music is some of the favorite my favorite worship music, and I wonder if some of that is just God blessing him for having a right heart and for going about things the right way and for not feeling like he always had to be on the first seat of the bus. So sometimes we don't want to do that because we think we're important, but you know what? Jesus was actually important. Jesus was the most important person who ever lived. Jesus was and is God. And Jesus not only told us how to live, he led that way. He lived that way. Do you know that putting other people first is actually the cure to some of your anxiety and stress? If you would just exit yourself from the rat race of life and love other people, so much of your anxiety would go away. So much of your fear would go away. And God would exalt you. One of the big conflicts we have in our culture right now is racism. Because racism is awful. If you don't realize that racism is alive, wake up. It is all around us. Racism, sexism, prejudice, it's everywhere. But this is the answer. I can't possibly be racist against someone that I honestly believe is better than me. I can't be prejudiced against someone that I honestly believe is more important than me. I just can't. And if you and I would choose to internalize that and live that, we wouldn't have those conflicts in our lives. God would use us to bring healing where there's division. If you go about life treating other people as better than yourself, you will never be a racist person. You will never be a prejudiced person. 
When I get my value from who I am in Christ, I don't have to be first in line anymore. I don't have to be the loudest voice in the room all the time. I don't have to always be right. Some of you look at your spouses right now. Don't have to always be right. I don't have to fear. And when we choose to humble ourselves, we get better results. We read about how God took Jesus' humility as an example for all of us and that God exalted Jesus to the highest place, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he demand because he is. Listen to these verses, James chapter four, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Listen to 1 Peter chapter five, verse five. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows his favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. He's the mighty one. That he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. Be alert and sober-minded, though. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith or your trust in God because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Guys, all that you want, you already have. In the love of Christ, there's no greater treasure than that. There's no greater achievement than being loved by God. So what are you striving for? When we choose to put others first, we draw God's, like a magnet, we draw God's favor because God's heart is drawn to the people who exit the rat race. God's heart is drawn to people who see him and know him as a good father, who trust him to be their defense and their provider. You know, it's Father's Day. You know, and sometimes I wonder why God does some of the things he does. Like, why did God make people? We talked about that a few weeks ago. God created people so that he could love you. So he could, get, not to get something from you, he doesn't need anything from you, but to give you something you don't have. And that's his love. That's why he made you, to give that to you. Why did God make us get married? He doesn't have a wife. Like, why did God make marriage, for example? You might think God created marriage to make you happy because there are blessings in marriage, but that's not why. He created marriage. He created marriage so that you and I could learn what it means to love someone else unconditionally. You may be at the end of the road with your spouse. You may be like, I just can't do it anymore. You know who never says that? Jesus. Jesus.
We're the ones, guys, who are unfaithful to him. And so here's the thing. You might be going through hell. It might be a real struggle, guys. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that at all. But rejoice in the fact that in the midst of the trial, you are learning more about who God is. You're learning more about God's love for you. You were created to be married to learn unconditional love. Why did God make us parents? The same reason. Why did God create fatherhood? Because he's a dad. Because he wants us to know what it's like to be a dad. He wants us to know what it's like to love a child unconditionally. He wants us to know what it feels like to hurt when our children are hurting. Because when we go through that pain, we learn the heart of God and that is a treasure above all treasures. It's the beauty in the ashes. Finding God's love in the middle of our difficult, difficult times. This doesn't mean that we don't have grace for each other. Guys, we fail. I'm not up here to point the finger at anyone. But what I know is that when I'm learning to love unconditionally, I'm learning about the heart of God. And it leads to a better result. Because he is who he says he is, we can be who he called us to be. Don't worry about the haters. Let God handle the haters. We don't live for the approval of people. We can put them first, even when they put us last. Give it to God. Let him handle the the haters. I have a few older men who are pastors that speak into my life because I want to grow and I want to learn and I want wisdom beyond my years. And one of these pastors, a pretty large church and a great humble guy, he said to me, he said, Phil, one of the biggest trials you will ever face as a pastor is keeping your heart right towards people. Deciding that no matter what they do to you, no matter what someone says about you, to make sure that your heart still loves them. To make sure that your heart is right. And to give the justice to God. Because God can handle that. It's not my job. It's not in my job description. It's his job description. To handle the haters. And this pastor looked at me and said, Phil, I can tell you, after all the years I've been in ministry, I've seen God work in every single situation I gave him. When I took my hands off and I gave my heart freely, it's like Mother Teresa said, the love didn't run out. There was just more love and God worked in the midst of it. Because we serve a God that levels the path ahead of us, we can be unified. Because we are loved and receive our value from God, who works all things for our good, we can choose humility instead of pride. And when we pursue unity and walk in humility, we will see God exalt his work in us. We will see greater things. We will see greater power. We will see greater miracles. We will see revival like the world has never, ever seen. And on top of that, our hearts will be full. Our hearts will be full.
because we're better together. Listen to Psalm 34, 8 in closing. Taste and see. It's like Costco. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. It's like God says, guys, just dare me. (laughs) Just test. Just put all your trust in me and just see what happens. You will taste and see that it is good. You will find that if you keep your heart right towards people, I will be your refuge. I will be your defense. I will be your advocate. So here's the invitation. Somebody's here today that needs to let pride go. Up until the point you walk through these doors, your life has been about your wants and your needs. And God is speaking to your heart right now to say, lay it down. Lay it down. You could be here today And here's here's more of where you're coming from. You need to know that God is your advocate. You heard me say to keep your heart right towards people, but you're thinking, I don't know how to keep my heart right towards that person. Do you know what they did to me? The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now saying, I'm your advocate. You rest in me and watch what I do. And somebody needs to know that love is the way forward. You're thinking, at this place I am in my life right now, I don't know what's next. I don't know where God wants me to go. I'm in such a hard time right now, I don't know how to get to tomorrow. Love is the way forward. God's love given to you freely and your love given to others freely. That is the way forward to see greater things. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, maybe you just walked in off the street. You've never been here before and you don't even know what a relationship with Jesus is. Well, guess what? It's just believing that God loves you, that God sent his son Jesus into the world to die for your sins. It's saying, God, I believe what the Bible says about you. Come into my life, forgive me. Give me a new life. I give you my life. That's it. It's just a conversation. It's not a magic trick. You don't have to click your heels three times. It's just a conversation. And God will save you. The only thing we ask is that you fill out that card because it's not easy to be a Christian and we want to walk with you through that. So during the invitation time, I just invite you to pray. We have a prayer room over here on this side. If you want someone to pray with you or you have questions, there are people waiting in there, youth leaders for you if you're a teenager to talk things through in the back of the room. We have a cross back there with some pieces of paper you might have seen. That's for you to go back if you want and to take a piece of paper and just to write on it the name of someone you know who doesn't know Jesus or to write down the name of that person who gave you a hard time and you don't know how to forgive them or something that's going on in your life. Don't put your name on it. Just write it down, fold it, and put it on that cross as a sign of laying it at the cross of Jesus because he will handle it. And every few weeks we pull those down as a staff and we pray for them and we will pray for those because we believe that God is gonna work a miracle in whatever it is that you've written down there.
So let's stand as we prepare to worship and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you that because of who you are, we can be who you called us to be. You're so good and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.